First of all, I want to remind you guys about Christmas Eve coming up here in a couple weeks. We got four services. Register for that. And then also the 100 Day Dare is coming up. I want to remind you guys about that. You can check that out online, journeykc.com slash groups or journeykc.com slash the 411. We'll get you there. Uh, there's already a bunch of group, uh, groups that are formed and still forming and uh, that'll be leading up to the time that we'll be doing this, kicking it off January 1, going all the way through Palm Sunday, 100 days. It's going to be amazing. Uh, today, what we're going to do, though, is we are going to start a two-week series, just a brief series called Silent Nights, heading into Christmas time. How many of you guys have ever had a time in your life, or, or maybe a, a night or a season of nights, where it seemed like God was silent? Have you ever had that before? Yeah, I know a lot of us have. I've gone through times like that before. I was reminded this week of um, the story in Acts. It's one of the, the famous stories in the Bible of Paul and Silas in Acts chapter 16. And they had gone through what may have seemed like a silent night where God was silent. They were doing what God asked them to do. They were preaching the gospel. They were uh, beat up for it. They were put in prison. And it seemed like God was silent because they were just doing what they were supposed to do. And, and here at midnight, it, it seemed like that you know, they were going through the night and God wasn't there. But then something happened in verse 25. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly, can it, somebody say, and suddenly. Now, I want you to say it again like you're expecting something. Say, and suddenly. And suddenly. Because and suddenly, something happened. It says, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, and so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And suddenly broke through the silent night. But how many of you guys have had some and suddenlies in life that weren't so fun? Anybody ever had some and suddenlies that you weren't expecting? Let me tell you about my week. <laughs> Because I had some and suddenlies this week. Leading into this week for several days uh, at, before we got into this week, Becca, my wife, wasn't feeling well. We didn't know why. We, we, kept, uh, we went to different urgent cares, and uh, everyone just kept sending us back home, and, and uh, no one was, was able to help us. And finally, about Tuesday morning, uh, we ended up in the ER because she was basically non-responsive, non-functioning, essentially. And... How many of you guys know that's an end suddenly, right? It's not on your plans to end up in the ER. And so we were in the ER, and I already had a bunch of stuff happening this week that I already had plans that I needed to get done this week. And so uh, it was already going to be a busy week. And here we are going into this, this end suddenly, and, and they said, you have a severe infection. We're going to admit you this finally by the, towards the end of the day. We'd been in the ER uh, all day, and finally we're getting ready to move her up to a room to check her in for the, for the evening, and they kicked me out because it was 6 o'clock. I couldn't be there anymore and had to leave her at the room overnight and, um, and just not knowing what was going to happen next. And so uh, get up the next morning, show up at the hospital first thing when they'll let me in, and uh, touch base there and then try to get any reports that we could get and then uh, rushed over here to the church to try to get as, all these things done that I had to get done. I went back and trying to keep all these plates spinning at home and at church and at the hospital and I get back to the hospital and, and uh, this is now on Wednesday and, and I was just getting ready to finish this sentence. The sentence I was getting ready to finish was, now all I need to do left today is to prepare a message for the weekend 
And as I started to say that sentence, before I could get that sentence out, I got a phone call. And on the other end was my daughter, Shaylin. She's panicked. And I could tell something's wrong. She says, Dad, I've been in an accident. She was in a head-on collision. And she said, I'm bleeding. And I said, where are you? And I found out where she, were, she was. And I rushed out of the hospital to go and meet where she was at. And how many of you guys know that's another and suddenly, right? Yeah. Wasn't planning that. And so I rush over there and uh, get her. We take her to the ER, get to the ER. And now I'm sitting in the ER same hospital where my wife is on the fourth floor. Now I'm with my daughter in the ER the very next day. And I'm looking, it was kind of surreal because the day before I was looking at the monitor and seeing my wife's name up on the monitor. And here I am 24 hours later to see my daughter's name up on the monitor in the ER. And we got her all checked out, a lot of bumps and bruises and she's going to be okay. Got her out, rushed up in the middle of the time while she's getting tests in the ER, rushed up to visit Becca before they could kick me out for the evening. And we, the next day, Thursday, finally, um, we got on the right track and uh, the severe infection was under control and they released uh, her out of the hospital. So we got everybody home Thursday evening. And meanwhile, we were supposed to be in Branson uh, on Thursday night and Friday night. We already had a trip scheduled, prepaid, no refunds, all that type of thing. And we'd already missed half of it. And, and so we finally got back to the house and, and I asked everybody kind of what they wanted to do. And they said, well, we would still like to go and see the lights and, and at Silver Dollar City. And so that so Friday, we decided, well, well, you know, I mean, it's been a huge, crazy, busy week, but maybe this is a good diversion for the family. And so uh, we drove down to Branson and uh, went to Silver Dollar City. And about 7.30, after we came out of the Dickens Christmas Carol, all of a sudden, more people packed into that place than I've ever seen. All of a sudden, everybody's phones go off at once, and we're in a tornado warning. And they pack us in down below, the crowd started to panic. They're evacuating, and I'm sitting there, you know, we're, we're stuck in this building in the lower level with my family, and I'm like, what am I, Job? Like, what happened here? <laughs> what happened this week? I just need to get out of this week. So I came home yesterday just in time to preach the message you're about to hear. But what I want to talk about is not some and suddenlies that aren't so good. I want to get our faith up for some and suddenlies that are. Because when you're in a silent night, sometimes we lose hope that there can be some and suddenlies that are actually good. But I want to look at a couple and suddenlies in Scripture. In Acts chapter 2, we see another and suddenly. This is a famous one. It says, when the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. And, and suddenly, somebody say and suddenly. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were seated, sitting. And so Paul and Silas, they had to endure a silent night, or part of a silent night before their end suddenly. But the, the apostles at Pentecost, they had to endure several silent nights, because they were in the upper room for a while before their end suddenly came. But there's another end suddenly that is one of the most important end suddenlies. And it's part of the Christmas story, and it's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 8. You guys know this story. It says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For unto you is born this... How many of you guys can hear Linus saying this right now? 
That's kind of how I hear it now. Uh, forever the voice of the Lord on this scripture. And for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And that's what Christmas is all about, Charlie Brown. And suddenly, somebody say, and suddenly. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying glory to, the, to God in the highest and on earth peace among those, those whom he is pleased. This is one of the greatest and suddenlies because it was the announcement of the Savior. Now what you have to understand about this and suddenly is between Malachi and Matthew. You know, we turned the page from the Old Testament to the New Testament. But in the turning of that page, there was 400 years of silent nights. 400 years. So much so that every person that was alive at that time had not really, had not ever heard the prophetic voice of God, how he had once spoke to his people. So that not only your parents hadn't heard it or your grandparents, but your great-grandparents and their great-grandparents, not just silent nights, not just silent years, not just silent decades, but silent centuries without the Spirit of God breaking through like he once did. 400 years. Something happens after 400 years, you start to forget that God speaks, right? See, there's this tension between dusk and dawn. There's this tension when the night happens. Those, let me just speak to you hunters. When you go out there early in the morning, how many of you guys know there's tension in the darkness, right? There's tension between dusk and dawn, and you can finally start to hear the day starting to break, but there's a tension in the night, and there's a tension in our lives. And, and I've heard it said this way, that God rarely moves quickly. How many of you guys would testify to that? It seems like God rarely moves quickly. But when God does act, he acts suddenly. And so some of us may be in a silent night right now, a silent season where it seems like God is not moving. It seems like God is not speaking. It seems like God is silent. It seems like there's tension in the air. But here's what I wanna encourage you with. Suddenly, in each one of these situations, the end suddenly happened after a silent night. And in fact, it was because it was the silent night that made the end suddenly possible. And so if you're in a silent night, you are in good company. But I also want you to understand that you should start expecting an end suddenly. You don't know when it's going to come, but you should start expecting the end suddenly. But some of us, sadly, have been in a silent night for so long that we do think that maybe God doesn't speak anymore. Oh, he speaks to other people. Oh, he works in someone else's life. Oh, he works in someone else's situation. But, but because of my situation, I just don't know if God's going to speak anymore in my life. I don't know if God's going to use me anymore like he once was. I don't know if God is going to fulfill the promises to me like I once thought he was going to do. And that's maybe where you're at. But I want to encourage you today that God still does speak. And so I want to introduce you by video clip to a guy who's going to be coming here at the first part of January. His name's Lee Cummings. He's a good friend of mine. And he's going to be preaching. But I want him to help us be reminded that God still speaks. Take a look at this video. Religious tradition has extinguished our expectancy. I went to a Bible college that I summarily got kicked out of. I was asked to leave because I believed God still speaks. And God still does miracles. They said, we don't want anybody graduating with a theology degree from our institution who believes that God still does those things. And so I had to 
leave and it was interesting to me. It was the first time in my life I had ever encountered Christians who were mad that somebody said that God spoke to them. It's like, I'm mad at you. God doesn't do that anymore. Here's what I want you to think about for a second. The New Testament tells us that the new covenant that we have with Jesus is a superior covenant to the old covenant. How can you have a superior covenant with inferior communication? You can't. A.W. Tozer wrote this years and years ago. He said this, he says, I believe that much of our religious unbelief is due to wrong conceptions of and a wrong feeling for the scriptures of truth. A silent God suddenly began to speak in a book and when the book was finished, lapsed back into silence again forever. Now we read the book as a record of what God said when he was for a brief time in a speaking mood. With notions like that in our heads, how can we believe? The facts are that God is not silent, has never been silent. It is the nature of God to speak. The second person of the Trinity is called the Word. The Bible, the inevitable outcome of God's continual speech. It is the infallible declaration of his mind for us put into familiar human words. I think a new world will arise out of the religious mist when we approach our Bibles with the idea that it is not only a book which was once spoken, but a book which is now speaking. The same Holy Spirit that inspired inspired the apostles and the prophets to write the pages of scripture, the infallible and errant word of God is the same Holy Spirit that lives in me. And he's not silent. So when I read the Bible, the prayer I pray every day is this, Holy Spirit, open my eyes, open my ears, so that as I read what you have perfectly given to us, I will hear today, which is my daily bread, what you are saying to me today. And God, I, 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 want, I want to be so close to you in my walk with you that like Samuel, my reaction to you is this. I'm your servant, Lord. Speak to me. I'm listening. I hope that's our posture. I'm your servant, Lord. Speak to me. Because God still speaks. But here's what I want you to understand. What you do during the silent night sets the volume for what happens in the day. See, a lot of us think that, well, I'm just going to make it through the silent night and then just see what happens. But it's actually what you do during the silent night that sets the volume for the day. Like there's, a, there's something that we are to do, some expect, expectations we are to have, some postures that we are to have even during the silent night. And so I want us to look at a story that is part of the Christmas story. We just don't think of it as part of the Christmas story. It happens after the birth of Jesus. And it happens as Joseph and Mary are bringing Jesus to the temple to be presented, to be dedicated unto the Lord. And it's found in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. It says, Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man, this man was, a right, was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So you guys following this? He has a word from God all of a sudden that he's not going to die before he sees the salvation, before he sees the Messiah. And, and this, this, I mean, this is coming out of 400 years of silence. And so he came in the spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, which we'll talk about in a little bit, the importance of that, 
He took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you're letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. God had given him a word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. You see, it was a silent night, but all of a sudden he had a promise of something coming. And this is what God a lot of times does is he gives us a hint, even in the silent night, that something is coming. We don't have it yet, but he gives us a hint that something is coming. Let, let me give you an example of what we should be, be like. Recently, I was in Tennessee. We were on vacation with the family, and we had been walking around town. We'd been hiking, walking around town, and we, we got to this pizza place, and we were just hungry. How many of you guys are hungry to the point of being hangry? Anybody ever been there before, right? That's like we were like on the edge of that. So we sit down, we order our pizza, and we're waiting for the pizza to come. How many of you guys know, we don't have the pizza yet, but we have an expectation that the pizza's coming, right? We're pretty confident it's going to come. But, but in the meantime, what are we doing? We're waiting because we don't have it yet, but we're certain it's coming. We're certain it's on its way. We don't know when it's coming, but we know it's coming. And because of that, we're, we're getting we're, we're excited. Our taste buds are starting to get warmed up, right? We're, we're anticipating what is coming. This is what it's like, like to, to anticipate. Even though you, you don't have it yet, you know that it's coming. Some of us are in a silent night right now. We don't have what, what's been ordered yet, but we ought to start anticipating what's been ordered. We don't know when it's coming, but we know it's coming. I, I love to do this to to my wife, Becca, as we're at restaurants, you know, we order something and we're sitting there at the table and, and you know, we're kind of talking and stuff. And then all of a sudden, I'll just start moving things around. I'll look up and start moving things around, like getting things ready. No one's coming, but I'm just faking her out. She'll start moving things around, thinking the food's coming. Works every time, you know? And I'm like, I'm oh, sorry, the food's not coming yet. But I, what am I doing there? Whenever I, well, I'm anticipating, so what I'm doing, I'm rearranging the table. I'm expecting them to put some food down. See, there's something about what we call Advent. Advent means waiting or waiting for the arrival of Christ. We, we are living in this tension of the first Advent and the second Advent of Christ. So you know what we ought to be doing in the meantime? We ought to be rearranging the table of our life to make room. Because we know something's coming. We don't know when it's coming, but we have reasonable, we, we have a reason, it's reasonable for us to rearrange the table of our life to make room for what's coming. Listen, some of you have promises of God in your life. You don't know when they're going to happen. You feel like you're in a silent night, but you know what the most reasonable thing you could do if you're a faith person is to start rearranging the table of your life to make room for what's coming. That's the faith life. That's what it means. It's like a confirmation number. How many of you guys have ordered something on Amazon for Christmas already? Let's just see how much we're supporting. Okay, some of us don't even want to go there. All right. How do you guys know? You got your confirmation number. You know it's coming, right? You don't know when it's coming. You have an expectation. You've been given a time frame. You could even track it sometimes, but you still don't necessarily know what's com when it's coming, but you have the confirmation number. And because you have the confirmation number, you're fairly confident that it's going to arrive on your doorstep. See, that's what faith is like. Faith is like this confirmation number. You don't know when it's coming, but you know it's coming. In fact, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 in the Amplified, I love the way it puts it. It says it this way. Now faith is the assurance. 
Look at, look at this. The confirmation. We could just put number in there. Faith is the confirmation number. It's the title deed of the things we hope for being the proof of things we do not see, but faith is the conviction of their reality. Faith perceiving as real fact what is not revealed to the senses. What I'm saying here is there are things in God's word, there's promises he's put in your heart that you can't see with your senses. You can't see in the five senses. You can't taste, touch, feel, or smell just yet. But you know what? If you act in faith, if you're operating in faith, it's as much reality as if you could. That's what faith is. It's the reality of things that you can't see just yet, it, but you have a confirmation number that they are coming. And so you start to rearrange the table of your life to make room for what's coming. It's like a title deed. You know, a title is a document giving you evidence of legal ownership. There's so many times in our life where we operate this way and we don't have a single problem with it. I mean, most of the time, the hotel room you reserve, you don't see the hotel room yet, but you got the confirmation number and that's just as good for you. You don't see the airplane that you're going to get on, but you've got the ticket, and that's just as good for you. You don't see the car all the time that you own, but you've got the title to it, and that's just as good. That's what the scriptures say faith is. That if you are truly operating in faith, you are acting as if you have it, even if you can't see it. And to you, it's just the same. There's no difference. Faith is the same thing as actually having it. And so we operate as if we do. That's what faith is. Now, that may seem crazy, but how many of you guys know in other areas of life it's not crazy? It's not crazy for you to say, hey, I'm going to stay at this hotel because I got the confirmation. It's not crazy. But when you start acting in faith, some people might think you're crazy, but it's not. Here's what I want you to understand. You know, faith is the title deed. It's the document proving that you have what it says that you have, even though you can't see it yet. You know what the Bible is? The Bible is that document. The Bible is a document that you have all of the riches in Christ that this thing says that you have. And let me tell you something. If you're walking in faith, you need to act as if you have them, even if you can't taste, smell, touch, any of it. See it with your eyes. You need to be acting as if you already have it. But here's what you got to understand. See, most people, you get a word from God. You get a prophetic word from God. You get a promise out of the word of God. And most people are not like Simeon. Most people let go of their promise way before they see the fulfillment. Because we're not operating in faith. You gotta understand something about faith. Faith can only live in the revealed will of God. See, a lot of people try to have faith outside of the revealed will of God, and it's not real faith. What do I mean by that? Well, the will of God is, you can't have faith outside of the will of God for your life. You can't just put faith in anything. It's kind of like, one time I came, you know, we have this fish in the fish bowl. One time I came and I saw the fish on the ground. The fish was not, not doing well at this point. <laughs> it was not alive. The cat either flipped it out and got it or the air got it or whatever. But the point is this. How do you guys know that a fish, this sounds very simple, but a fish cannot exist outside the water, can it? Faith cannot exist outside of the revealed will of God. Some of us are just trying to have faith for anything. And we don't even know what the will of God is. 
Some of us think that God puts sickness on us to teach us a lesson. How are you ever going to have faith for healing? You can't because you're not operating the revealed will of God. You, you, can't, you can't operate just in anything. See, I, I said you, you need to discover the promises of God because God's purposes are attached to God's promises. If you want to know the purpose for God for your life, you've got to find a promise of God because God's purposes are attached to God's promises. So you have to find, if you want to know what God's purpose for your life is, you've got to find the promises of God. The promises of God are going to come through his word, through his prophetic word, through the preached word of God. Uh, these things I talked about a few weeks ago. But understand, I didn't say go create a promise. You've got to discover the promises. See, some of us, what we want to do is that when we're in a silent night, how many of you guys are ever in a silent conversation? You get awkward, you have to fill in the space. You can't handle the silence, Right? Some of us can't handle the silence in life, so we fill in the space. So we start creating promises. Abraham tried that. That didn't, didn't work out so well. Now, we have, to, we have to find the revealed will of God. The revealed will of God comes from his word. If you don't know the word of God, how can you know the will of God? How do you even know what to pray for or to expect? And, and the thing is, you're only able to walk in as much power as your faith can uncover as your faith in the revealed will of God can walk in. See, some of us are just trying to walk around and just say, I have faith just to walk with God. But, but we're living by hearsay faith, not word of God faith. We hear somebody else's life and we just start, no, you have to, it doesn't matter how, how much faith you say you have, faith can only exist in the revealed will of God. And if you are just making up things about what you think rather than rooted in the will of God, you're not going to be able, it doesn't matter how strong the armies of God are, it doesn't matter how much anointing you have, it doesn't matter how much calling you have in your life, it doesn't matter how many opportunities you have in your life. If you are not stepping out in real faith, in, rooted in the revealed will of God, you are not going to be sustained. See, sometimes what happens in the silent night is we fill in the space and we're moved by our emotions, not by truth, if we're honest. Have you guys ever been there before? Like we're moved by our emotions rather than the word of God. I saw this clip from Pastor Dwayne Vanderklok this week. It really ministered to me. I think it's gonna to minister to you. He talks about this very thing. Let's take a look. First of all, John 14 in verse one. Jesus says, let not your heart be troubled. Now, in our society today, what we're basically told is your emotions, what your emotions are is what they are. Right? If, if you're anxious, if you're fearful, if you're depressed, whatever it is, he said, well, that's just the way that it is, and that's the way I am. Right? But Jesus said, do not let your emotions run your life. And you do not need to let your emotions run your life. In fact, Jesus said, don't do it. Don't let that happen. Right? Now, he's going to tell us how to not let it happen. And he begins with this. He said, you believe in God, believe also in me. So here's what he's saying. He's saying your emotions are moved in whatever direction they go by what you believe or what you think. In other words, if you believe right, you're going, your emotions are going to come in line. If you believe right, if you think right, your emotions are going to come in line. But if you believe wrong, you're going to have emotions that are going to control your life. 
So he says, make sure you're believing the right things. Make sure you've got the right thoughts. He says, you believe in God, believe also in me. And then he goes on and he says something here, very, very interesting. He, he begins to look beyond this life. Literally, he begins to look ahead. In fact, the Bible tells us to set our affections on things above and not on things beneath. And what Jesus is going to do, he's going to get us to focus on the eternal. Now, how many of you have read at least the whole New Testament? Wait, thank you, thank you. All right. Now, if you've read the, the, the whole New Testament, you get to the end of the Bible, right? It's the book of Revelation. And when you read the end of the book, we win. We absolutely win. I mean, the enemy is, is, is literally, he's put in a prison where he's going to be day and night. The Bible says forever and ever and ever. God wipes away every tear. There's no more death. There's no more suffering. There's no more pain. There's no more sighing. It is all gone. And Jesus said that what we need to do is we need to have an eternal focus on what's going on. He says, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. Now, by the way, every single New Testament author, even the ones that just write one chapter, talk about Jesus coming again. And he says, I will receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. The Bible literally calls this the blessed hope. Right? It is what, what, what we as Christians, it is our final end. It's the, the, the goal of our faith is when he comes back, he's going to receive us to himself. We are going to be where he is. So he says, don't let your emotions run your life. Believe right. You are who God says you are. You can do what God says you can do. You can have what God says you can have. Think right. In other words, do our thinking with God's word. Let God's word direct what we believe and what we think. Amen. Let God's word direct what we believe and what we think. So the first thing we got to understand is God's purposes are attached to God's promises if you're in a silent night. I'm going to look, keep reading because there's some other truths that are revealed here in Luke chapter 2, verse 36. It says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. Watch this. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So by chance, Anna happens to come and to witness this amazing event. But how many of you guys know in Scripture there aren't chances, are there? She's a part of this story, and she witnesses this big opportunity, this, this big moment not by You know what created the chance? You know what created the opportunity? It, cre it was created because she was there ready day by day for 84 years now. 84 years old. Divine opportunities come out of everyday faithfulness. You talk about being at the right place at the right time. You know what made her at the right place at the right time? 
it was years of day by day being in the right place at the right time. It wasn't just one moment. It was all those moments that made it the right place at the right time. You know what we're tempted to do in the silent night is to pick and choose when we want to be a part of things. We want to pick and choose our faithfulness. We want to try to time the market. That's not how our opportunities come. See, her opportunities came because of decades of right place and right time where the opportunity didn't manifest yet. But it's the culmination of all of the right times that made it the right time. That's why I talk about the 100-day dare, talk about the power of place. It's not just... It's not just something I'm trying to say, hey, you need to be at church. I'm saying there's a lot of right times and right places that make up the right time and the right place. You just don't know when it's going to happen. And so divine opportunities come out of everyday faithfulness. Think about Acts chapter 3. You know, there's a story of the guy who was, who was uh, you know, a beggar. He was set up. You know, he was crippled. He's set up at the gate called Beautiful. Every single day he was set up there. And then one day... Peter and John come by and they say, we don't have anything to give you, but what we do have is the power of God. Stand up and be healed and walking and leaping and praising God. His life was changed. But what if he didn't show up that one day? What if he missed that? He would have missed an opportunity. He would have missed the opportunity. And I, I, I've seen so many people miss opportunities because of not, there's something about faithfulness that God loves and that God rewards. I, I don't know how else to say it. But God loves faithfulness. It's all throughout Scripture. And there's something about faithfulness that God rewards in ways that he doesn't otherwise. There's something about cumulative faithfulness that make up the moments. We just think, we see other people's lives and we think it's just a moment. It's not a moment. It's never a moment. It's the result of divine, divine opportunities come from everyday faithfulness. And I've seen so many people miss opportunities or circle back around an opportunity that they missed the first time because they weren't faithful. So you keep missing the opportunity, missing the opportunity, missing the opportunity because of a lack of faithfulness. Now, let me just give you an example of this that's, that's uh, in our personal life that's, that's kind of fun. Uh, I recorded this just to kind of help us see this. So take a look. So 12 or 13 years ago, we went on this vacation to Wisconsin Dells, Wisconsin. And Wisconsin Dells is the water park capital of the world, by the way, but it's also Wisconsin. So what? It is famous for cheese. And so we were walking around town one time, my kids were little, and they were giving away these uh, samples of cheese curds. We're in Wisconsin, so of course we're gonna have a sample of cheese just to complete the experience. And so we get there and we all had cheese curds except for my daughter, Shaylin. She just would not eat the cheese curd. And so from that moment on, for the next 12 or 13 years of her life, she grew up having that regret that she didn't have that cheese curd at Wisconsin. And so the, a couple months ago, we decided we we're going to go on vacation and we decided we're going to go back to Wisconsin Dells because I don't want my kids to live with regrets and we're going to eat that curd. And so we went there just so Shaylin could eat, my daughter Shaylin, so she could eat that curd and not have any regrets. Here's the moment when her dreams came true. All right, Shaylin, here's your cheese curd moment. You have to go first. <laughs> Was it worth it? It's fulfilling the dream. It is really good. 
Now, that was an awesome moment, but the point of that is how many times do we miss opportunities and as a result of missing opportunities, do we have to waste time, you know, going around? I, I know so many people who go round and round and round because they continually to miss opportunities and circle around the same opportunity that they continually miss over and over and over again. It reminds me of the children of Israel. You know, the Bible says it was only 11 days of journey to get where they needed to go, but they wandered around for 40 plus years because uh, they kept missing their opportunity. And just reminds me, you know, we had to go back, you know, all the way back to the same exact place where we, where she missed the cheese curd opportunity at the very beginning. We had to go all the way back all, over a decade later just to have the same opportunity. But we have to remember, and here's the, here's the lesson, that divine, that divine opportunities come as a result of everyday faithfulness, of being in a place. You know, we talked about that power of place, of being in a place so that we don't miss the opportunities that God sets in front of us. Lesson learned, if you're in Wisconsin, eat the curd, okay? Don't waste your life. And, uh, but seriously, sometimes we miss those opportunities that God puts in front of us. All right, I, I wanna wrap this up by looking at the very beginning of this story of Simeon and Anna. There's something that happens here that it's also that we need to get. And because some of us might not know how to walk this out. And it, it seems inconsequential at first, but Luke chapter 2, verse 22, it says, And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him, that's Jesus, up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, that every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Now, this was uh, tied into, remember in, in Egypt, back in Moses' day when the children of Israel were slaves for, you know, talk about 400 years, they were slaves for 400 years, and suddenly... Moses comes along, God's, God comes through, through Moses and says, I want you to redeem these people. But as a series of that, Pharaoh was not willing to let the people go and a series of plagues come. And one of the plagues was the plague of the firstborn, that this destroying angel came through and wiped out all of the firstborn. Unless the people put the blood of the lamb, this was a picture of the cross that was to come, come later on of Jesus, the perfect lamb of God, the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, and the angel would pass over. That's why it's called Passover. He would pass over them. So this is tied into that event, and they would present the firstborn uh, with an offering back to God, at some like 40 days after birth. And so every male who first opens the womb shall come shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now, this is interesting here because what, what they were supposed to offer in this moment is also the purification of the mother, but what they were supposed to offer was a lamb. And, and this was also a picture of, of the coming of, of Christ and the Messiah. They were supposed to offer a lamb. But if you couldn't afford a lamb, then you were able to offer either turtle doves or pigeons. And so what we know about this is we know that Mary and Joseph didn't have a lot of resources. We know they didn't have enough to offer a lamb, but they did offer what they had. And here's what I want you to understand. If you're in a silent night, you need to understand this, that God will work with whatever you have. See, sometimes we think that something else has to happen, but no, God will work with whatever you have. Here, Joseph and Mary come, and all they had are the, the turtle doves. All they have are the, the pigeons. They, they don't have the lamb. They might not measure up to what other people have, but God will work with whatever you have. And 
You can, here's the, here's the truth. You may be in a silent night right now. You may have, you can have all the tools. You can have all of the knowledge. You can have all the opportunities. But if you don't use what you have, it doesn't matter. You can have the connections. You can have the resources. But if you don't use what you have, God always starts with what you have. Think about the, the young boy in, in the story of the feeding of the 5,000. He just had a happy meal. That's all he had, right? He just had a couple of, you know, fish sticks and some, some bread, right? But God used what he had and made it into a miracle. God will take what you have and turn it into a miracle, but you have to offer it to God. God will use what you have. He'll work with what you have. And here's what I want you to understand. You have more in you right now than the enemy wants you to know about. And he's working overtime to try to not let you know. And it goes all the way back to the very beginning. It goes all the way back to the garden. This is his playbook. This is what he's doing from day one. Remember in the garden, God created Adam and Eve. Sin was not in the garden. At this point, God plants a tree in the midst of the garden. He says, you can eat of any tree except for this tree that's in the midst of the garden. If you eat of it, you will die. And then the serpent, the enemy in the form of serpent, comes to Eve and says, hey, why aren't you eating of that fruit in the garden? She says, well, God says we can eat of any of the fruit except for the tree that's in the middle of it because if we eat of it, we'll die. And watch what happens in Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. It says, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. Can everybody say like God? That's key. It says, you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. See, Satan told them that God didn't want them to eat the fruit because God didn't want them to be like him. What's interesting is that the fact is they already were like God. Watch this, Genesis chapter one, verse 26 says, then God said, when he created them, he says, let us make man in our image. After, and he uses this word, after our likeness. They already were like God. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, of the birds of the air, the heavens, the livestock, and the earth, and every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Here's what I want you to understand. You have more in you than what you know. And I'm going to put this up on the screen because it's going to help somebody out. This is what Satan did to Adam and Eve. He, Satan tricked them to trade in what they already were to try to gain what they already had. And I have to guess that he's still trying to do that for somebody today. He's trying to trick you right now to trade in what you are to give up something that you are for something you already have. You have more in you than what you know. God has placed more in you. You have to have faith eyes to be able to see. And the problem with a silent night is we lose our eyes. We lose our faith eyes. But the Bible says we don't walk by sight in the natural. We walk by faith. So how many of you guys know you don't need natural light to be able to see by faith? You, you don't need natural senses to be able to see by faith. You have to have faith eyes to be able to see in the silent night. Let's go back to Simeon's promise. And I'm going to have the worship team come back up as we do this. But there's, there's something still I want you to see. So don't tune out just yet. Back to Simeon's promise. He said this over them. It says, in, or it says this to them, it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 27, it says, And he came to the Spirit in the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus. Now, remember, Simeon was given a promise, right? He was given, what was the promise? That he would see the Messiah. That he would see salvation. That's the promise. That's all he knows. That he's going to see the Messiah. He doesn't know the details. How many of you guys know when you're in a silent night, when God gives you a seed of faith, you don't get the details, do you? 
All he knows is he's gonna see salvation, he's gonna see the Messiah. Watch, this is amazing to me. It says, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he knew it. He took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he says, now he says, Lord, I've seen the promise. Lord, I've seen the promise. Simeon sees a baby and knows. Most people wouldn't have thought it was coming in that package. But Simeon had faith eyes. And he knew. He knew. Few people would have seen that coming. Few people recognized Messiah when he arrived. Most people didn't. But he had faith eyes, and he knew when the child Jesus came, he knew his end suddenly came. And here's my question. I just wonder, I wonder for somebody, what if your end suddenly is already in your life? What if your end suddenly has already arrived? What if, what if in a moment today, all of a sudden revelation happened? And all of a sudden you could see it. And all of a sudden the thing you'd been praying for, the thing you've been hoping for, the thing you've been dreaming about, the promise you've been holding on to, what if it was in seed form right now? What, would, what if it was in baby form right now? The question is, will you have eyes to see it? Because I just have a hunch that maybe it is. And suddenly's come in unsuspecting packages. Almost every time, it seems like God surprises us. Simeon was given a promise. Anna was given an opportunity, but both of them were prepared and ready. And, and this is like, I felt like as I was preparing this week, in all the chaos of my week, that this was like a pregnant moment. Pun intended, the whole story. Let's just tie it all together. And that something maybe was giving birth right now in your life. What if? What if? It's like this, that, that illustration I used a couple months ago when I found out that my son is going to have, that, that they're going to have a baby. And it's like, I'm a grandfather. But I... No one can see visibly that I'm a grandfather because I don't have the manifestation. But around May 1st, I'm going to be able to hold the manifestation that proves visibly that I'm a grandfather. So between now and May, what do I do? I live by faith that someday I'll hold the manifestation. It doesn't change my identity. My identity is settled. I'm a grandfather doesn't change my identity. No one else can see. It doesn't matter if anybody else can see. I'm living in what I know is true. And that's what it means to live by faith. You live by faith. Even when you don't have it, you live as if you did. Because it's settled in your heart. And no one can take it from you. Because you have a promise from God. And you're holding on to it. That's what the faith life is. Man, I hope somebody's getting this this morning finish with this last scripture because I believe this is a right now word for somebody too. It's literally just one word, but it, it, it's packaged in a scripture. In Luke chapter 2 verse 33, he says something interesting to, to them. Simeon says, and it says, and his father and his mother marveled about what it was said, said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, 
Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and, a sign, and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, giving us an idea that maybe Mary had a hint of what was to come, that one day her son would be on the cross. It says, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. What's interesting is that it says he's been appointed for the fall and rising. You know what that word rising means? It's, it's a Greek word, anastasis, and it's the same word for resurrection. And I believe that somebody needs to hear that word today, that word resurrection. Because that's what Jesus does. That's why he came. And so as we close today, here's what I saw in the spirit as I was praying about this day. As we sing, sing this last song, we're not going to call the prayer teams up. But what I saw was just an open altar. That if you need a moment with God, here it is. If you just need a moment with God, we're going to open up our hearts. Some of us may need to repent of things to kind of make room. Some of us, this is just as simple as us acting by faith and anticipation, rearranging the table of our heart and of our life to make room for what we know is coming. This is a faith act. Maybe nobody comes. I'm not trying to get a crap down here, believe me. I'm just opening it up because this is what I saw in the Spirit. So if this is for you, would you guys stand up with me? And I'm going to pray. We're going to sing this song and we're going to open up the altar and let you just have a moment with God. Lord, we, we open up our hearts and we say, God, give us faith eyes to see what you've planted maybe already in our life in seed form. I pray for encouragement, supernatural encouragement, hope to rise up in people's hearts and lives. But we want to be faith people, not people who just walk in the natural, not just walk by our emotions, but we want to be people of faith who are moved by what you say and not what our natural eyes see. So Lord, we give you this moment right now. We say, come in this moment.